Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and school's in session, and I know this is a time of year that folks are looking for a church home, so if that is true for you, we pray that you feel welcome, comfortable uh, here. This is a great church family. I've been here for, gosh, over 25 years, and uh, never been loved more than I am in this place, so we hope you feel the same. Uh, we're working through uh, the letter of James, and I hope that you're seeing that this is a letter that's filled with all kinds of practical truth for everyday life. Uh, this morning will be no exception. James is purposefully taking us down a path of what it means to walk in godly wisdom, especially when we live in a world where we're surrounded by compromise. Every day as, as we work along this path, we encounter any variety of, of trials and temptations. They're the daily experience in the life of a believer this side of heaven. And we've learned how trials are used by God to, to draw us closer to Him. Temptations are used by Satan to, to draw us away from God. And we need God's wisdom to know the difference between the two. To understand and see the way of escape. When we need to run, to be able to stand strong in our faith when we need to endure. In order to, to walk in godly wisdom, we must cultivate a teachable heart. I've said before, and I believe it's true, if I were to narrow it down, I would say that this may be the most important quality in the life of a Christian, to have a teachable heart. Not just a heart filled with information, but a heart that lives and understands how to apply truth. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that this morning, it is not likely that you will hear anything that you have not already heard and know to be true. The challenge that all of us face, myself included, is learning to faithfully apply what you know to be true in the way you live your life. To take what's in our head and, and implant it in our heart so that it impacts how we live. Since that's our shared challenge, then let's just ask the Lord to, to help us apply His truth this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize and confess collectively as a body of Christ that this is our challenge, not an absence of truth. My goodness, you have gone to such great lengths to give us everything we need for life and godliness. There is not a shortage of truth. Instead, there is a challenge to be able to take that truth and apply it to our life. So Lord, would you, this morning, give us a unique insight, a, an understanding of what it means to live out of the truth that you've revealed to us in your word. Help us to take what's in our head and implant it in our heart so that it transforms how we live. Lord, I ask for myself and for everyone here, that we leave this morning different than what, how we came in because of the power of your word producing life in our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. James continuing to write to 
exiles who have left Jerusalem because of persecution, now living in a world that it's not their home, it's very different than their life back in Jerusalem. He's encouraging them and he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I'm going to pause there and tell you that this is one of my all-time favorite verses in all of Scripture. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. In fact, I would go as far as to say that probably 90% of any of the counseling I've ever done could be summarized in that one verse. (laughs) Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's good wisdom for parenting. It's absolutely necessary for a healthy marriage. It, It impacts our friendships. It influences our our workplace. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And it seems evident, doesn't it? Even from God's creation, He gave us two ears and one mouth. So that must mean He wants us to listen twice as much as He wants us to speak. What James is trying to, to teach us here is that listening must be a priority if wisdom is your goal. Listening must be a priority if walking in wisdom is your goal. Being a good listener requires intentional effort. It's not easy, is it? It's it's hard work. Instead of thinking about what you want to say, it's it's hard work to to listen to what someone else is trying to say. It's hard work. Instead of being offended by emotion... It's hard work to just stop and listen to understand the heart behind all that hurt. Being a good listener is hard work, and we just can't do it if we're always in a hurry. See, busyness makes us a bad listener. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where we're trained to get our information in 10-second sound bites, right? If you can't get to the point in 10 seconds, I'm not interested anymore. And that makes for terrible conversation. Right? You've got to slow down. You've got to take time. You've got to listen well. It's hard work. But if you really, really care, then you will make the effort. You will seek to understand before being understood. You will slow down, eliminate distractions, listen closely. Listening must be a priority if wisdom is the goal. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's a great passage in Proverbs. You can look at it if you want to or you can just write it down. It's Proverbs chapter 17 beginning in verse 27. Listen to what this says. There's such great wisdom here. Chapter chapter 17 verse 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent or discerning. Be quick to listen and use your words with restraint. For even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent. Because here's the reality. The more we speak, the better chance we have of saying the wrong thing. The more we speak, the better chance there is To say the wrong thing. There's another proverb that proves that to be true. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19. If you want to write that one down. Listen to what it says. 
When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The more words you say, the better chance there is that you're going to say the wrong words. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. Here's the bottom line. We cannot listen well when our lips are moving. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. We have to care more about what the other person has to say than what we think they need to hear. Saying is true that nobody really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Controlling your anger begins with controlling your tongue. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You never have to take back something you never said. <laughs> if you think about it, most of our most heated arguments come from some, some sort of misunderstanding, some word spoken out of turn, out of line, without complete understanding, and then it just rolls from there. It, it happens a lot when we're quick to listen or quick to speak, but slow to listen. We allow our emotions to drive our speech instead of using our ears to bridle our tongue. And that's what James is trying to help us understand. In fact, it may be helpful to understand what James is saying by taking his logic and putting it in reverse. Let me show you what I mean. Controlling your anger begins with controlling your tongue. And controlling your tongue starts with using your ears. Hurtful anger comes from harsh words because of closed ears. Because if you really think about this, I want you to think about it in the context of the world in which we live. Isn't it fair to say that our culture has some anger issues? Is that fair? I mean, has there been a time that you can remember where there has been such hateful speech so prevalent in our common language? I mean, if somebody doesn't see things the way you do, the things that are spoken out of our mouths, including out of the mouth of Christians, is unbelievable. And please, don't make the mistake of saying it's righteous anger, that you're on God's side on this issue. Because James is very clear in our passage when he says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. God does not need our help. In bringing judgment to this world. In fact, we are here as ambassadors for peace. If you'll look at 2 Corinthians, very familiar passage, chapter 5, verse 18, says, Now these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and here's our, here's our job, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, ministers of peace. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, for he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again, anger is the outcome of a hard heart. Grace and forgiveness comes from a heart that has been broken. One that comes before God and, and, and loves others in the same way that they have been loved by Christ. 
who forgives others in the same way that they have been forgiven by Christ. Qualities that that come from a life that has been impacted by God's truth. A, A teachable heart. Taking what's in our head and planting it into our heart so that it then impacts how we live. Look at how he continues in verse 21. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Walking in godly wisdom, in a sense, what he's saying here requires us to wear new clothes. Okay? What he says is put aside or, or take off, and he qualifies it as all the filthiness and what remains of wickedness. In other words, remove the clothes that have been stained by sin in this world and put on something new. Reminds me when I was in PT school and taking gross anatomy. We'd spend all day in the anatomy lab, and when we finished, everything we wore from down to our socks smelled like formaldehyde. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, you've probably experienced the very same thing, right? You, what you wear takes on the odor of where you've been. Well, James understands that we live in a sin-cursed world, a, a, a world that is saturated with the odor of, of moral impurity, of spiritual compromise. And so he wants us to, to take off the old clothes and put on something new, something that has been washed by the word of truth. Notice that the wardrobe is something that we receive. He says, in humility, receive the word implanted. A wardrobe that's been washed by the word of truth. And we talked about how that phrase, word of truth, is the gospel. So this is calling us to to live a life that puts the gospel on display. So that people see the evidence of God's redemptive work and how you live your life. Remember, when you put your faith in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. We talked about that last week. Old things have gone. New things have come. But we have to take those new things and and apply that truth to how we live our life. So that as we abide in Christ, we give off the fragrance of his redemptive work in our life. We want to remove those sin-cursed habits live by the power of a transformed life. You see, when we put our faith in Christ, that means we are clothed in Christ. We have a new wardrobe, a character that reflects His compassion. So that as we abide in Christ, we give off the fragrance of where we've been. And when we've been with Him, our life, as a fragrance of redemption. We live in a way that puts the gospel on display. Look at how he continues in verse 22. He says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in all he does. The word implanted in our hearts must influence 
every single part of our life. And that can only happen when we are diligent to cultivate a teachable heart. Let me ask you this. How many of y'all have uh, driven up to the church this summer, pulled in the parking lot and looked at the front and think, man, that really looks nice up there. The new fence, the gazebo, all the flowers and and shrubs. I mean, it's, it's really a beautiful sight. And I want you to know that there's one very good reason why it looks so good. And it's Linda Whitaker. Because that woman gets out there and she waters those plants. She trims them up. She pulls out the weeds. She cultivates that garden so that it displays the beauty that you and I can appreciate when we drive up to this church. And if you're like me, I've asked her as recent as last week, so, you know, I've got this place in my yard (laughs) that doesn't seem to work very well. What should I do? Well, in the same way, we must cultivate a teachable heart in a way that puts the beauty of God's redemptive work on display in our lives to the point that people come to us and say, you know, I've got this area in my life just not working out so well. What do you think I should do? We want to have a character that represents Christ, that puts God's glory on display. But James is saying that garden will only grow when we are diligent to cultivate a teachable heart. Accumulating knowledge doesn't impact our life. James says it's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, but once he sees his face and walks away, he forgot what he was. He forgot what he saw. Now, there are some important truths to understand what James is trying to say here by this illustration. First of all is the understanding that in ancient times, they had mirrors that are very different than the ones we have today. The mirrors that he's referring to were most often just polished metal. Okay, so it would be a blurry reflection at best. That's why when you read that passage in Corinthians where Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. The mirror James is referring to is a dim reflection of our outward appearance. James describes it as our natural face. It's who we are in that moment. Now, how many of you have teenagers in your home? Okay, if you do, you know that they like to spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, don't they? And uh, I would venture to say that maybe girls more than boys, but I don't know, after raising a couple of boys, I think it's close. It's close. They've got to make sure their hair is just right. Got to make sure their complexion is clear. They want to look good when they go out in public. But once they go out in public, they're much more, they're, 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 they lose their attention about what they saw in the mirror, and now they're more attentive to what people see in them. In other words, they care more, they care less about, do you like my hair, and more about, do you like me? But that's a question that cannot be resolved in front of a mirror. A mirror only reveals what we want other people to see. It does not expose who we truly are. Our true identity is hidden in our heart, and that requires a different kind of reflection. James says we must look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, if you're a 
a, um, a cautious reader, you run across that phrase and you think, well, that sounds like an oxymoron. Law of liberty? I mean, law by its nature, isn't it restrictive? It's rules, it's boundaries. But he's saying a law of freedom. What does that mean? He says it's the perfect law. And I believe when James is talking about the perfect law, he's talking about the one who fulfilled the law, the person and work of Jesus Christ. James is not directing us to a list of rules. He is pointing us to a person. Only the person of Christ can reveal your true identity. Only His Word can expose who He created you to be. The question is, do you live out of what you want others to see or who God made you to be? I think that's the point of this illustration James is trying to get at. Do you live based on what you want others to see or do you live because of who God created you to be? Do you simply hear His truth and then forget what it says? Or do you consider that truth and how it impacts how you live? Is it just an outward appearance? Or is there an inward transformation taking place? See, our conduct is like our clothes. It's what people see. But what we wear should be a reflection of who we are. A character that is shaped because of our identity in Christ. A life that gives off the fragrance of His redemptive work. A mirror only reflects what you want people to see. God's truth reveals who He created us to be. You see the difference? Identity is not something we discover. I know that's what our world tells us today. Identity is not something we discover. Identity is something we receive based on who God created us to be. And if it's from God, James tells us that it's filled with all kinds of blessing. He says, all that that man does shall be blessed in what he does. So let me go back to that illustration of the garden out front again. Okay, we could have made that deal a whole lot easier by just planting a bunch of artificial plants, right? No maintenance, no water, no, no difficulty at all. But there would not be near the beauty there that we see when there's life in those plants. They can't change, they can't grow or flower, they will not flourish. They are what they are in that moment, and that's all. A life that is not impacted by God's truth is an artificial plant. There is no life apart from life in Christ. There's no depth beyond what you can see on the outside. It can't grow and it certainly can't flourish as God intended it to. Only a life that is rooted in Christ can spring forth life. But it does require, as Linda has been so diligent in the garden out front, to cultivate, to have a fertile soil so that the truth implanted can spring forth life and transform how we live. A life that that puts the, the gospel on display. A life that ultimately becomes what God created us 
to be. A life that reveals the blessings that are built into his design. Look at how he continues in verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, James is talking about true religion and I want, you to be, I want us to be reminded that he's speaking to a Jewish audience, okay? So they've lived a life of religious ceremony. All the sacrifices at the temple, all the feasts that are being celebrated in Jerusalem, but now they are exiles, and they no longer have access to that religious ceremony that they grew up in. But James is telling them that religion is not ceremony. It is service. And you take that with you wherever you go. In your words, in your hands, and in your heart. And I think he speaks to each one of those as he walks through those last two verses. James begins with where he Uh, started back in verse 19, that true religion starts with taming your tongue, (laughs) controlling your speech, restraining your words. That's that Proverbs passage that we looked at. Because if you can't control your tongue, it's a very high likelihood that God really doesn't have control of your heart. A controlled tongue is a reflection of a submissive heart. They're quick to listen. Because they have a teachable heart. They strive for peace instead of passing judgment. They're kind and not critical. Gracious and not harsh. Jesus said in Matthew that a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. You will know what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it bears. If it's diseased and rotten on the inside, it will not produce good and healthy fruit. He goes on and says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. This is the basis of of Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 29. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We're called to live out of the reality of our relationship with Christ. So that what we receive from Christ is what we ultimately then give to other people. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we speak harsh words out of a redeemed heart. Because those words had to ignore the Spirit before they ever left our mouth. Be true to your faith in Christ. But true religion goes beyond just mere words. It includes our hands as well. See, in the ancient times, widows and orphans were a class of people who truly could not survive outside the context of a loving community. They were dependent upon the kindness of other people. It was never a matter of if you would see a need like that. It was only a matter of what you would do when you did see that need. 
James is echoing what Jesus proclaimed in his ministry, that we cannot say that we love God and not care for other people, not love our neighbor. Compassion is an attribute of Christ, and it is the evidence of a true believer. God is love, and those who love God will care for those in need. We cannot claim to follow Christ if we do not care for those in need. Now, I think this is a little bit challenging in our world today because we have all kinds of group homes and and government assistance to take care of people who have needs. So it's easy to absolve ourselves from this responsibility. And we can go as far as to say, well, if we just contribute to a notable charity, then we've served our duty. That's not what James is saying. He's requiring us to work with our hands. Go in and be involved. That's why I think Lubbock Impact is such an important ministry for all of us to consider being a part of at one time or another. And here's why. Because it's more than just serving a meal. It's actually sitting down and having a conversation with the person you've served the meal to. Look them in the eyes. Speaking words of life. Listening to their heart. So that you can make an impact with your hands. I think that's what James is trying to teach us. We want to give out of the overflow of what we've received from Christ. If he's given us love and compassion, grace and forgiveness, then that should just come out of us in our everyday life. In the words we speak, in, in what we do with our hands, and what we get involved with personally, actively, and then what we see happening within our heart you've ever seen a surgeon prepping for surgery, I know Larry's probably done this before, right? It's a, it's a protocol. I mean, there's a process they go through. They use a certain kind of soap. They wash in a certain kind of way over a certain amount of time. And even after all that, they still wear sterile gloves. They put on a gown. They put on a mask because the cleanliness of the surgeon is directly connected to their care for the patient. Well, what's true for the, sa- the surgeon is no different for the Christian. We don't want to do God's work with dirty hands. James says, keep yourself unstained by the world. Be clean. Being clean is critical to our mission and our care for people. We cannot bring healing if our life is infected by sin. True and undefiled religion, service, compassion flows out of a clean heart. There's a tongue that speaks life, a heart that brings healing, a heart that is pure. Taking the truth that is implanted and let it transform how we live. Knowing that how we live ultimately is a reflection of who we are in Christ. Now, if you think about all that James has said in just these three few verses, we can see that there is all kinds of practical truths, probably none of which you're hearing for the first time this morning. The question is, how do we take what we know to be true, reminded of this morning, and then impact how we live so that when we walk out those doors, it's somehow different than when we came in this morning. So let me kind of summarize, if you will, what I hear James saying from our passage this morning. This is what I hear him saying. What we hear impacts who we are and determines what we do. What we hear impacts 
who we are and then determines what we do. So be quick to listen. Have a teachable heart. Cultivate and and humbly receive the, the word of truth, which has the power to change your life. Humbly submit to the authority of God. And please, do me a favor. Do not come to church and and, and read Christian books with the intent of learning something new, a new angle, a a fresh idea. Don't be impressed with with new ideas and and unique perspectives. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that there's actually going to be a time. He says there will be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. Now think about that. What that's saying is that there will be a time when people are going to get bored with truth. That's what he said. There will be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. They will get bored with hearing the same old truths over and over again, and they will desire something different, something to to tickle their ears, a, a new and a fresh idea. And James would go on to say that people who get bored with truth are the ones who start believing lies. So don't come to church hoping to learn something new. Come to church with a commitment to apply what you already know to be true. Be reminded of truth. And then ask yourself, how should this impact how I now live? How can I walk out of this place different than when I walked into this place? Let how you live be a reflection of who you are. Not just in an outward appearance of what people see, but an inward reality because of who God made you to be. And the only way you and I can understand what that looks like is if we spend time with our Savior, give off the aroma of having been in His presence, and live in a way that reflects the, His Word transforming our life. And plant it in us. It's there. You're not going to hear anything that's going to be added to it. It will only bring to life what's already in you. And so we want to live out of that reality. Our home group did a study with Chip Ingram. He was looking at Romans 12. It's a great study to spend time on. He had this phrase that he used when he was talking about authentic community. And this is what he said. He says, authentic community is when the real you meets real needs in the right way for the right reasons. And I think that's some of what James is saying here. It's the, when the real you meets real needs in the right way for the right reasons. Taking what's in your head planting it in your heart so that it impacts how you live and and live in such a way that it puts the gospel on display where your life gives off the fragrance of Christ. It's a display of his redemptive work because you have cultivated a teachable heart. Those are some practical truths. And so as I pray and close time, I'm going to give you just a little bit to maybe consider some things that you've heard this morning that can impact how you live from this moment forward. So you might write them down, whatever you need to do, but take some time to not just gain more information, but to consider how what you've been reminded of and the truth that has been implanted in you can impact how you live when you leave this place. So take some time to do that, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we know that we live in a world of artificial plants where people very often live according to what they think other people want them to be. But Lord, you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. 
you've implanted your truth inside of our heart. And we are reminded of those truths as your spirit opens our eyes and opens our ears. And we want to allow that inward reality to transform our life so that we can live not according to what people see, but according to who you've created us to be. And Lord, we're grateful that you're gracious <laughs> because there is no one in this room, myself included, who is a finished product. We are a work in progress. But you've promised that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. That each and every moment of each and every day, you're at work in our heart to understand how we can live according to the identity of who we are in Christ. To be consistent with who you created us to be. To live in a way that puts your gospel on display, that gives off a fragrance of our Savior so that others would look at our life and say, you know, I have this area. Can you help me? And we don't speak out of expertise. We speak out of a teachable heart that is consistently and constantly learning and growing and understanding of what it means to faithfully follow Christ in a sin-cursed world. To live in a way that puts the gospel on display. So Lord, would you help us do that, especially today as we leave this place, to implant truths that come to life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.